The MHI Industry Leadership Podcast brings together the solutions, providers, and thought leaders of the materials handling industry to talk about trends, technologies, solutions, and best practices to move the industry forward. Christian Dow is the Executive Vice President of Membership and Industry Leadership at MHI. In each episode, Christian will be talking to the leaders and members of MHI's industry groups. Let's join him now. Welcome to the MHI Industry Leadership Podcast. Today, we're diving into a topic that's becoming more critical with the rise of e-commerce. With online shopping hitting record highs, warehouse operators face the giant task of keeping pace with demand. Tightening delivery schedules, just-in-time inventory replenishment, ensuring safety while optimizing material flow, these are all part of today's logistics chess game. One crucial area that requires our attention, the final 100 feet of the warehouse. We call this the SLAM area, which stands for Scan, Label, Apply, and Manifest. To navigate this topic, we're joined by two members of SLAM's industry group. First, Chuck Cobb, Vice President of Sales and Marketing and Customer Support for Flow Industries, and Steve Castle, Director of Sales and Marketing for AutoQuip Corporation. We're also adding a new voice to the podcast. Our producer, Frank Schwartz, will co-host with me. So welcome, gentlemen. And before we get started, Frank, why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, so Christian, uh, I appreciate you having me on. Um, I guess in the past, I traditionally just sort of uh, recorded these, um, but I've gotten so geeked out and uh, and excited about a lot of the topics that we talk about that uh, I just sort of, it seemed natural for me to kind of come on and, and uh, maybe just have part of the discussion. So I appreciate you letting me come on and, and co-host with you. Well, excellent. Well, let's, let's learn from our, uh, our two guests here. Uh, welcome, Chuck. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about Flow and your experience? Thank you for having me, uh, guys. Um, I've been in the industry as of tomorrow morning. I'll be in this industry 29 years. So I've been around and all the, the in the material handling industry, and all I've ever sold is VRCs. So I've been in this one particular little niche market for that amount of time. I've been with Flow 19 years, and I was with a competitor for 10 prior. Excellent. So um, prior to that, kind of a big change in, in careers, but uh, <laughs> so, um, and uh, fortunately, I'm kind of on the downhill of my career at this point. So I've got about one more year. I'm going to finish 20 years and then I'm going to sail off into the sunset. Well, we're glad to have you and thank you for joining us today. Thank you again. S Steve, can you tell us more about AutoQuip and your experience? Sure. AutoQuip is also a manufacturer for VRCs and a variety of other material handling equipment, whether it's scissors lifts or dock lifts, a lot of different types of lift systems and uh, special controls for those systems. And uh, I've recently moved into the position of director of sales and marketing after having been serving as a regional for a little over 20 years and uh, been with the company 36 years. Started when I was quite young and uh, worked through various departments in the company. Been in uh, sales for a little over 25 years total. And uh, just uh, glad to have opportunity to come on uh, with you today and uh, discuss this uh, specific type of uh, application, which is unique uh, for our VRCs. 
That's great. I mean, it seems like you both are really new to the industry, so I'm excited to uh, to see what you've learned in your short time here. So what Steve didn't tell you is he says, you know, I've been in here to whatever, 20-something years, and I was there 30-something years, and I, he started when he was seven, is what he didn't uh, tell you. Right. Pretty close. Pretty yeah. close. <laughs> so, Chuck, what is a VRC? A VRC is, is the terminology that was developed for this type of lift. It's a vertical reciprocating conveyor. And I get asked, what you know, I, I people ask me, well, what's a VRC? And it, and it, and a lot of people just want to say VCR. And I go, oh, no, no, it's not that. And my my uh, obvious thing that I've always used is say, well, it's a it's a low cost elevator that people can't ride, and that and then that people just it kind of snaps for them. We don't like to use the elevator term very much um, because we are under a different code and all those things. But uh, it's a way to move materials from floor to floor, and usually at a lower cost. Good description. Steve, would you have anything to add to that? Just, yeah, Chuck described it well. People use the the acronym, but they also use uh, material lift or uh, freight elevator. is another term that is not correct for what we use, but it is a term that's commonly used in the industry. Uh, but basically, it's it's a lift uh, whether it's a platform lift, a material lift, uh, or a VRC, vertical reciprocating conveyor that moves uh, product between levels. Uh, a little further definition is just it's manually loaded at one or more low, one or more levels and uh, can access either two floors or 10 floors, depending on the building that we're moving product uh, between levels. Excellent. So, Steve, what are some examples of how VRCs are used and what are their benefits? Well, uh, the number one benefit of a VRC, as Chuck mentioned, was is just cost in comparison to a typical personnel elevator. A vertical reciprocating conveyor does not have controls inside the cab or what we call on the platform. So uh, they have call send controls at all of the landings. But uh, you can put a product on at level one and take it off at level two uh, just for whether it's ergonomics. You don't want someone carrying heavy materials up and down stairs to a mezzanine or between different levels of a building. And so it becomes a more economical means of carrying a heavy product or it could be anything from a, a pallet to a vehicle between multiple levels of a facility. And uh, so it's a it's an alternative product that uh, has developed over time and has its own specific types of codes that are applied to it. And those vary from state to state, but we uh, design the lift systems to the end, the ASME B20.1 standard for VRCs. And then there are some additional state requirements beyond that in certain areas. So uh, dumb guy question number one. Uh, and I jokingly say that, but I, I'm not in the industry, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued, but is there any size, like how much stuff can you really move? Like, is this like a lot of stuff or just like a little bit of stuff or like how much stuff can you move? Like how, what's a, what's a typical load? Well, we've, we've done anything and I know Steve's company has done on some very big things, but one of the latest ones that we did was one that, uh, had a 32 by 32 carriage and went up 90 feet and carried 230,000 pounds down to a two by two that moves five pounds. So um, <laughs> the, the real answer so, here is, what do you want to move? And we'll move. 
So you're house. you're saying that the my first house, which was about 960 square feet, you basically are moving my first house up and down. Uh, yeah, but but apparently, if it was filled with lead, like two hundred and thirty thousand, that's a, yeah. Okay. Well, when we talk about moving things, one yeah. of the things that in a, a VRC that we have to calculate the load, the you know the weight of the load, but we also have to calculate the platform as as uh, my colleague called it. We call it a carriage. Same thing. Um, you have to figure that weight. You have to figure the weight of the chains that are picking it up. You have to you know all these things go into that total capacity. But, um, you know, we, and and Steve with AutoQuip, you know, we've all done these, you know, crazy projects. I mean, the one I just mentioned, we were moving a, a telescope lens that was five foot thick and 30 foot in diameter and going up from the ground down in, down in the belly of the, of the mountain up 90 feet. And then when we got up there, we had to pick the roof up so we could get it off. So, I mean, there's all kinds of, you know, here it's a, you know, it, it's not, that's not a slam, obviously, but, uh, you know, to, to your answer your question, it's whatever. I mean, I think Steve will say the same thing. I mean, we've, like I said, we get people that want us to move cell phones and then we get people that want us to move crazy stuff. And uh, basically, you know, both of our companies are very, um, versed in doing that and um so we you know there's not really any limitation that i know of i, I haven't we, of course i'm a sales guy right we can do anything <laughs> that's what it, that's what everybody tells me Mike, as I, long as you don't ask the engineers we yeah. can do anything <laughs> right the engineers are always like oh my god do that again and, uh, but uh they, they end up being very neat projects to work on so sorry to get a little off topic there yeah, it's a lot of fun. You get to see a lot of different applications. It's my favorite thing about the business that we're in is we get to see a lot of uh, customer sites and how people build things, and and we get to solve problems where a lot of people never even think about. I think that's why you, Frank, were interested to, in the conversations in general is just you get to see so many different types of of material handling applications, and you get to see different ways of solving a problem and different types of equipment that's used various ways and it's it's really an interesting industry. It's it's a bit of a niche, uh, but it's also very expansive in terms of you know we see everything from aerospace to groceries to online retailers. It's it's everything that we get to see and kind of behind the scenes uh, applications. It's it's a lot of fun. Yep. So Chuck, how is a uh, VRC used in the SLAM area of a, and and I'll give a little background for the audience. SLAM stands for scan, label, apply, and manifest. And it's really that order fulfillment area. We've defined it as from an or time an order is put into the final shipper to the time it hits the dock door. And that's what the SLAM industry focuses on. And so both the AutoQuip and Flow joined the SLAM industry group. But, but uh, so Chuck, why is flow part of slam and what do you do? You know, how is slam, you know, relate to VRCs in a warehouse? Well, normally in a warehouse, as, as Steve said earlier, um, and you said, you know, we're in the last hundred feet of the building. Well, hundred feet's not very big. So they can't put all of that equipment and have all that stuff that they need there right there on the floor. So they usually build a mezzanine or a balcony or whatever you want to call it. Um, and they they need to store those materials up there. And I've actually seen 
uh, slam areas where they have the big rolls of the the barcoding things that run down from the upper floor down. And so they store all that material up there. And then the whole bottom is just used for the boxing and, and getting it put on the pallet or into the truck or depending on, you know, which way they are fixing to take it from out of the buildings. You know, that's a whole nother, you know, conversation. Sometimes they, they put it on a roller conveyor to shoot it right all the way into the truck. Sometimes it's put in carts. Sometimes it's put in um, on pallets and shrink wraps. So, I mean, you know, the main thing is they can't put all that packaging material right there on that last hundred feet. They've got to put it somewhere. And even, you know, sometimes it means that the boxes are being built right there on the upper floor and they come right down on a, on a tow conveyor coming down. Excellent. Steve? Um, yeah, that that's a, a great description for my interpretation of the slam areas as well. I, I'm seeing kind of an evolution, I think. I've seen several, uh, call them big box stores, that have uh, retail space that has been typically used for customers. You walk in and pick a product off the shelf, but I'm seeing um, some of those types of stores that are actually converting uh, some of their retail space to uh, where they're able to uh, basically create a automated storage and retrieval system that they can use to support online selling of that same product. And so instead of customers carrying that product out the door, they're starting to convert that space uh, and they're requiring new material hanging equipment to make that happen because um they might put in a five-level storage mezzanine or whatever, and then they're bringing that product uh, to a picking point that they can actually load on trucks. So they're they're converting a retail space into a uh, distribution center of sorts, not completely, but at least partially. And it's interesting to see that happen in a variety of different markets. But um, in that environment, you know, we're using VRCs to mat- between different levels of those mezzanines, but then also in the area uh, when they're really confined space, they're trying to uh, bring packaging materials up and they're trying to get all that product now uh, uh, packaged for individual shipments like out on a, you know, a, a UPS or that type of a carrier, but they're doing it in bulk. So they need a way to get that product down maybe from a mezzanine or from another level where they actually do the slam process. Um, And like Chuck says, it may not happen uh, within a hundred feet of the dock. So to, you know, get all that accomplished, it takes more vertical space and that's where the VRC comes in play. Yeah. The the hundred feet was to give a, you know, a perspective or an an idea of kind of where we were in the, in a facility Mm -hmm. and the, you know, yeah, typical small facilities would be a hundred feet or less. And, but some large facilities, it could be the last mile. It might be a hundred feet horizontal to be, but it might be 300 feet vertically. <laughs> <laughs> How are you going to use that space? Right. So, uh, so is it um, in these kinds of applications and I guess, you know, obviously the, the size of the thing, whatever it is, that's getting manifested, you know, delivered is, is can vary uh, quite, quite largely, but is it typically more kind of small packages and that kind of a thing? And 
and when we start thinking about this, I'm, I, I'm just like, is it necessary for a human to, to load this stuff? Or can these things, do these often get integrated in part of like automation processes where something might drop it on the, on the BRC and then it goes or something like that? Or kind of, how does that typically go? I, and that maybe if that's an idiot question, I'll edit yeah. it out later. <laughs> well, a lot of them are mostly done by human packaging. And it's on the smaller scale when when you talk about, and I'll name names, Amazon, Walmart, Target, and their last part of that, when they're picking out of those, um, you know, some are using robots, some are using people. I mean, ultimately, somebody handles it at the very end, regardless of how they get it to that final pick point area. But uh, it's normally you know, relatively small boxes, 24 inches square would be kind of a a normal that and down Mm -hmm. um, that where the slam area is handling. Although in one of the larger ones, and I won't particularly pull a name here, but on their larger areas, they have whole facilities that handle the larger products like TVs and things like that. And they they have a slam area there. And they store the stuff on the mezzanine for the, you know, for the the product maybe up there as well as the labeling stuff. But when they get it downstairs and then in that last hundred feet, and that that is really pretty uh pretty accurate. I mean, yeah, they may be a long mile wide building, but the last <laughs> part going into the truck is usually about a hundred feet from the back door. And um, so it's it's pretty accurate, Christian. But um you know, we've seen it all all different ways, and I think Steve will kind of go along with me here. I mean, you know, we've seen anything from the, you know, I, I was at a facility a few weeks ago. I, well, Steve and I were there together, and we walked around, and we'd see them pushing anything from um, small boxes to, to 80-inch televisions, you know, and, you know, they come by on a cart, and you don't know, you know, so it's really – it's kind of a Duke's mixture when you come with these, these big retail, you know, online retailers is Amazon target, you know, Coles, all of the, you know, big box chains are, are developing it more, you know, obviously, you know, there were two leaders on it, Amazon and Walmart jumped on that big time. But um, so at least that's my take on it, Steve. Yeah, they all have that in common. They're trying to, uh, you know, create a workflow and they're trying to do it as ergonomically, as efficiently as they can. And they all have that in common. They're trying to figure out a way to get product to a storage area and then back to the area where they get package it for shipment. And there are a variety of ways of doing it. And whether you're doing televisions or whether you're doing um, furniture, there, there are just a lot of different things that they get handled through uh, a distribution center or through a store. Uh, and ultimately, that slam area becomes the, the bottom of the funnel, and they have to figure out a way to kind of squeeze that product through in a way that uh, is fast because everyone wants it to ship tomorrow. You know, they order it today. They expect it at their door tomorrow. And so all of these companies are really scrambling to, to make sure that they have equipment and processes in place to be able to, to get the product in and out quickly and, and to do it uh, safely. And there, there are a lot of things to consider. You know, you mentioned 
frank about well, are you handling small packages? Even if you are handling small packages, a lot of times they'll use a bulk container where they'll accumulate a bunch of those small packages into that bulk container. That bulk container might get hauled over to the dock area. So they're, they still need to use a large, some type of a material handling equipment, whether it's a pallet jack or a forklift or whatever to move it around. But then they use VRCs to move those bulk containers uh, between levels. And Steve and I both right now <clears throat> have been involved the last four or five years in, in these big facilities where they just keep going up. You know, they were originally three levels, then they went to four, they went to five. Now they're talking about going 10 levels high. And it's all because of urbanization. You know, they get the real estate costs, they can go up cheaper than they can go out. And so that's a big thing. One of the areas that we haven't really talked about, we've talked a lot about retail. But uh, this same process happens in manufacturing of, well, not manufacturing, production of chickens and pork and beef and, and you know, where they have to label it as it goes out the door. So you walk the cow over to the, you know, a little after that, a little after that. You walk the box of the cow. Walk the cow into a box, put the box on the thing. Yeah, I got it now. Yeah, the tasty Uh, um, box of fillets gets what, you know. Yeah, so it's, you know, it's, you know, yeah, box of fillets, box of chicken, box, box of pork chops, whatever. You know, I mean, one of the things that Steve said earlier, we get to go into a lot of different industries. You know, um, I, you know, I've been in everything from funeral homes to peanut butter. Um, so it's, you know, it, you know, you, you just it, our industry, um, even though it's a niche market, everybody's always trying to move things up and get them from one floor to the other and. And we well, in the case of a funeral those. home, they're moving them down, right? I mean, like, like <laughs> well, no, yeah, they usually have the uh, the involving and everything on the lower floor. Of course, we refer to those as stiff lifts, you know. So, oh, no. <laughs> you may have to edit that out. I'm oh sorry. no, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> We've always uh, kind of joked about that. That's the only time a human can ride on a VRC, VRC. right? <laughs> No risk, no risk assessment there. Uh, <laughs> so sorry about that, guys. So what are the different types of VRCs? I, I think there's a couple different, uh, you know, types of way mechanisms and the, the ways they go up and down, right? And that probably has limitations on on the type of, you know, reach and, and heights and things you can do. So Chuck, give me an idea. What, what are the types of VRCs that you've seen? Well, you know, we both of our companies manufacture different models. Um we, we, you know, from a two post to a cantilever to a four post, you know, sometimes even six post, um, they can be mechanically driven, they can be hydraulically driven, uh, you know, it all depends on what the customer's need is, and how often it has to be moved, um, does it need to go straight in and straight out on the same side, does it need to go in one side out the other, does it need to go 90 degrees, all of these are things that, you um, we call them our sales guys, but they're really, you know, they're kind of, they're not engineers, but they're kind of what we call product engineers because they have to go out and figure out what the customer needs. And that's how we determine, and I'm quite sure Steve will agree with this, you know, you walk into, I mean, I I can't count the times that I've walked into people and I'll say, I need a 12 by 12 that'll move four pallets. And they're saying, well, I need to move them so fast. And then you'll find out that 
they really can use a 2,500 pound two post straddle because they don't need to move move four at one time. They're, they're not thinking it through and we help them think it through. So there's, you know, it's, it's application engineering is what the word that I was trying to coin that our, our salespeople go out and do because every time you get in front of the customer, they usually have a bigger, bigger thing in their mind. Sometimes it works the opposite. They, they don't want to pay very much money. So um, they're, they're thinking smaller, but, but usually, you know, they're, they, they, they haven't thought their process through and you have to work with them to do that. So the second part of the, this question was, you know, different types of VRCs, but which ones are best for slam applications? Well, the common customer that we build mostly for, we primarily use uh, mechanical lifts for their applications and mechanical lifts can be used for, you know, two or more levels. Generally we use hydraulic lifts for one and two levels or just for single, uh, you know, floor to floor projects. But um, most applications that we do, uh, I'd say for slam areas are pretty high cycle, meaning they run, uh, you know, the lift is running almost continuously. And so we generally lean on the mechanical models for those types of uh, applications, just based on speed and number of cycles. Chuck, anything to add to that? Um, yeah, I, I would agree with him. We, we you know, the, the customer that we kind of got into this business for, um, they are very high cycle. So, you know, and, and as I said, Steve and I were at a facility together um, on a looking at projects for a customer and, that th- those facilities run 24 7 363 days a year and believe it or not the vrcs are moving all the time they never stop only to unload and load and it's just amazing so it you know we 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 as well depend on straddle or uh, on mechanicals in that arena for that particular customer but there are customers that don't need or have to have that amount of cycles per day. And so you can adjust that. So uh, that's what I said. The application, we have to go in and really figure out what they, what the application is all about. I was just going to add, we, what he said was as far as, uh, you know, engineering and really being consultants with the customers to advise them, you know, what types of equipment would work best and what they really need. Cause they don't know. They, they depend on us to, help them to determine the best equipment for the project and everything that we build, not only do we decide, you know, what type of equipment to use, but we scale it based on how, uh, how much they're using it and what's operating speeds uh, that, which is an important aspect as far as, uh, you know, getting a product from floor to floor, say a typical lift runs, you know, 30 feet per minute from floor to floor, but we can run, you know, much faster, 100, 150 feet a minute sometimes, or even faster if needed. But uh, it all depends on the application and, and everything that we build is really scalable uh, based on the, the size of the platform we want to provide, the capacity, the speed that we move. And it, it's it's all dependent on the product and or how many of those products we're moving at a time. And there's a variety of ways of accomplishing what they need. Uh, we also do a variety of uh, customizations for those that just depending on the application. 
Yeah, and your customizations, I think, Chuck, you touched on it earlier, the, where you're coming in, going out, what side, with, you know, how many posts, how much can't, if you're doing a cantilever, if you're doing, you know, what's the size of the platform, there's a lot of different things. Sounds like most of these are, there, there probably isn't very many that are alike unless it's in a replica facility, right? That's correct. Replica application. Normally, normally, they're just, we have to design them for the customer because the you know, one thing we haven't talked about is, one of our big things all the time is space constraints. You know, they say, well, I've only got a five by five area that you can put this in and you've got to come up with something that works in that area. One of the things that we've kind of touched on um, and, and most of the time in these slam areas, um, they are manually loaded and unloaded, but, you know, we also uh, run in, and I know Steve's company does too, but we actually where they are doing the scanning and the labeling on that upper floor. And all they're wanting is that finished product to go downstairs, not slamming at the conveyor industry, but the conveyor industry normally does that with an incline conveyor, which takes up quite a bit of real estate where we can do that in a very small footprint and they can feed them in and we can take them down one at a time and ship them just continually move and spit them out constantly. Yeah, I can see that the uh, you know with spirals or inclines or or different options, they're they're all going to be based on product size and dimensions. And if you have right. somebody that's shipping a lot of different things, you know, a, a, a VRC might be a lot easier to just make sure that everything's going to be get up and down and act, no jams, no issues, no maintenance uh, on Correct. you know issues that would come up on that kind of situation. So how do Chuck? How do you maintain or operate a, a VRC? You know, and maybe this is kind of where you might get into, you know, talking about, you know, that there's different standards for VRC versus elevators and, and, and then there's kind of how, what the differences are. And then I know we've, you know, as the VRC committee, we've talked to the state of New York about, you know, they're trying to treat all VRCs as elevators, right? And that's not, that shouldn't be the case. And it requires a lot of different, you know, maintenance and, and issues there, right? Correct. in New York. Am I right? Okay, sorry. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, first let's talk about the maintenance. VRCs are, are usually very easy to maintain. There's not, you know, too many things that go wrong. You can figure them out pretty quickly. You know, as things have progressed in our industry, you know, people are want more. They want HMIs on control panels that they can just walk up and look at and say, oh, that switch is bad. And they know where to go. Back in the, you know, when I first got in this business, that was not something you did hardly ever. You know, you uh, the technician went out and he had to take his meter and run around and check different areas. Um, so a lot of that's got a lot easier. But, norm, you know, to, to go to your point code-wise, when I first got into this industry, there were five states in the whole United States that required permitting and a license to install. Today, we're in the almost 30 of the states are now requiring some form of licensing or permitting or whatever. Um, a VRC is not an elevator because people don't ride it. It is a material only, but a lot of uh, AHJs, um, authorities having jurisdiction, will try to call it an elevator. And, you know, I know I know Steve can shake his head with me on this. 
uh, gets very frustrating because the you know first thing that happens is well our customers are going to call us back and start giving us a hard time about you know why is this guy giving me bugging me I can't you know I can't use my VRC because the, the code guy won't let let it go through the code B twenty point one was developed and I, I'm kind of proud to say that Flow pioneered that through. Um, many, many, many years ago, back when this industry really got going, the only way you could do a VRC was on a on an inclined at 15 degrees. And um, Herb Real, God rest his soul, uh, was Bob Bob Flager uh, with Flow when they first started um, Flow. They were having problems with that, and they fought it right through to the upper courts and finally got it where we could go straight vertically. The elevator industry fought us hard. And um, by doing that, you know, well, the, the judge's words were, if you're going up, you're going up. And if you're pregnant, you're pregnant. So it's okay and you can go straight vertical. And that was the way it kind of went down. Um, but we've been at the forefront of this for, you know, all along and we we fought it, but, and we continue to do that. We have a person that does nothing but monitor activity of, of, uh, of activity that, that anytime <laughs> the word yeah. elevator or VRC or anything gets brought up, we're, we pay for a service and we get pinged. And then we, you know, I, I got one over the weekend, another state that, that now is saying that, well, they need to do something about it. And so now we have to get involved and, and see what their, you know, intentions are. You know, are they really wanting, you know, because um, the elevator industry um, union is a very strong union and they like to dominate. And so it's a union based thing. And and yeah. um, so they would like it where only elevator people could work on. Right. right yeah, now, that's the other part is they have to be union union maintenance, union licensed maintenance. Right. For the. Where they, in some where they, states, in most elevators. states, in a lot of the states, they don't have to be, and you can have your own personnel working on it. Well, I mean, for the elevators, though, they have to be a union. Oh, yeah. yeah, so union and license. Well, not, not, there are non-union elevator houses. They're, right. you know, but, uh, you know, so, I mean, and we, you know, we use, you know, the elevator industry used to fight us. Nowadays, they're kind of a partner with us. We sell a lot to elevators, companies like I'll say 15 years ago, you hardly ever sold one to an elevator company. They would get a price from you just so that they could sell their elevator. And, and um, but uh, today we, we sell, I think Steve will say the same. Uh, it's kind of a different, different scenario. They've kind of embraced us rather than fight us as much as they used to. Um, That's but, but the, you know, there are, you know, as far as maintenance, they, you know, the, the equipment needs to be maintained, whether it be quarterly or semi-annually um, or monthly. I mean, it, it just depends. And and like I said, if it's in a licensing state, you, you they may have to use a licensed elevator technician or they may have a special license like some states do where they're not an elevator, but they're they're licensed as a VRC or specialty equipment license. Thanks. Steve, do you have anything to add? Sure. The, the VRC 
industry has definitely you know, evolved over a long period of time and codes continue to change, you know, state by state. And there are additional activities going on in a lot of different states right now that uh, will affect us. And we try to monitor that and, and work closely with our industry partners to make sure that we're aware of any of those changes and uh, maintaining equipment. We, we like to have people that are certainly uh, qualified and authorized to work on VRCs. And, and we try to do training with uh, people that represent us and uh, make sure that the technicians, whether they're union or not, are qualified to work on the equipment. We try to support them in doing so. And then we try to work with uh, you know, any states that are making changes to, to limit the effect of, of you know, what, they're, what they're doing, try to make sure that it's for the good of the industry. We also, uh, uh, in terms of maintenance, we, you know, we used to have push button controls, you know, to call a lift from level to level. But like Chuck said, we, we now have control systems that are much smarter in terms of monitoring uh, the system. Uh, we, we, our standard VRC controls now all have uh, the ability to do remote monitoring. So we, we can actually uh, help a customer troubleshoot remotely through connectivity uh, through the internet and we can uh, help troubleshoot. We can uh, start planning, doing predictive maintenance on the equipment. We'd have the ability to do uh, running efficiency. We know how well a lift has been running and over a period of time, we can basically plan maintenance for off hours. And that's becoming more and more important. Uh, if a facility has 10 lifts uh, accessing a certain area, then they have a way to do maintenance at their leisure. But many times you don't have um, you know, more than one or two lists in an area and you have to plan for the maintenance so as to not interrupt production. And so we're able to do that just through uh, using what we call smart controls and, and setting up the system so that we can uh, better uh, plan for maintenance uh, at a time that works best. Frank, did you learn anything today? Not a thing. No, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, you know, it, it, it's funny because there's a couple of things that, that were kind of going through my head as, as, as we talked about different things, but like number one, it is, it still continues to amaze me. And maybe the only thing that I should be amazed about is that I'm still amazed by it, but uh, how thin every margin of everything, not just from a profit standpoint, but every margin of everything, every inch, every millimeter, every half second, everything can, because you guys do this at such scale, everything makes just an enormous difference in how you can actually make stuff work. And it, right. It makes me uh, sleepy. If I'm, <laughs> that's right. too many details. I I can't do it. Right. Yeah. When you're talking about the 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 margins of you know e-commerce and retail, where we're putting in a VRC and a mezzanine can uh, you know maximize the space, the footprint, the real estate yeah. to to really add value. Yeah. To if I can add their five more racks, right? You know, in the, in the space that would have had to be taken up with stairs or something stupid, you know, or whatever, right? Or if I had to, you know, saving myself walking up and down a ramp or something like that, or any number of other ways, or an actual freight elevator, which who knows how fast that can go. And then you have people and other regulations and just all this stuff. And if I can save myself three seconds, you know, every time this thing comes down the lift, like pretty soon you're like, mm, you know, three seconds times 4 billion or however, <laughs> right. How many times this does this in a day? It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. So anything, uh, any final statements, Chuck? 
No, not really. I think we've covered it pretty well. All right. All right. <laughs> Steve? Uh, just thanks for having us on. It's been a pleasure discussing it with you guys, and uh, uh, we appreciate it. Thank you both, Chuck, Chuck Cobb and Steve Castle, for joining us today. If you want to learn more about the VRC committee, you can actually go to mhi.org slash VRC. And then if you want to learn more about the SLAM industry group, you can go to mhi.org slash SLAM. Uh, Remember, it's not just about moving inventory from A to B. It's about maximizing efficiency, increasing accuracy, and maintaining safety. Uh, I'd like to thank Frank for joining us today. And uh, join us next time and subscribe to our podcast. We'd love to uh, bring you more content next time. Thank you for joining the MHI Industry Leadership Podcast. Join us next time to learn more about the trends, technologies, solutions, and best practices that are moving the industry forward.